Hello and welcome to The Mock Review with Ben and Drew. I'm Ben Garmo. And I'm Drew Evans. It's been a few weeks now since the AMTA Board of Directors meeting, and like we've done for the last few years, we wanted to take a chance to uh, go through all of the events that happened at the board meeting and get a chance to break down you know, everything that happened. And, and it was a very eventful meeting this year. We are thrilled to be joined for that conversation by Sam Jahangir. Sam is an alumni of Northwestern University. He competed there from the fall of 2019 until graduating in 2013. Uh, he was a part of that program in 2012 and 2013 when they placed uh, at Nationals. Sam then went to law school at U Chicago, graduated uh, from the University of Chicago Law School in 2016. He started coaching at Chicago in 2015. Uh, and that's now uh, where he still coaches. And Sam is also a candidate member of the AMTA Board of Directors uh, and serves on a number of different committees, both on the Analytics Committee and the case, the Civil Case uh, Committee. So we're thrilled to have him here today to uh, discuss a lot of the things that happened at the board meeting. Sam, thanks for joining us. Yeah, happy to be here. Well, before we jump into Sam's origin story, which we're going to get to in just one second, uh, Drew and I have a quick bit of uh, mock review housekeeping business, which is that we both have uh, things we wanted to announce real quick. Uh, So I'll jump in and go first, and then I'll kick it over to Drew. So uh, I was thinking the other day that running one uh, mock trial program is not enough, so I've decided to run two. Uh, I recently took a uh, part-time job as the managing director of the national trial team at the University of Maryland School of Law which is my other alma mater. I went to UMBC undergrad and then Maryland law. Uh, And I am uh, unbelievably excited to jump back into the world of law school mock trial. Uh, I'm not going to be doing a ton of coaching there, at least initially. I'm going to be serving as the managing director. But uh, this is not the last time that you'll hear me mention that uh, either on the podcast or in different forums, because I'm going to be hoping to bring in lots of AMTA alums who want to go to a top 50 law school with a great trial advocacy program and you know, a record of success. So I'm very excited for that. Uh, and fortunately, I'm not the only member of the podcast who has a new uh, mock trial related job. Drew, I, my understanding is you're jumping into something as well. Obviously, congratulations, Ben. I, it's awesome. Really exciting for you. Uh, mine is definitely not quite as exciting, but I was recently asked by the Mock On Academy, which was started by Ria Lakaraju and Michael Zhu, um, to help them with running their mock trial camp that they are hosting. Um, they both had come that helped run the Yale camp that had happened in the past. And with COVID-19 and everything, uh, they decided to take the, what was once an online camp and turn it into, or sorry, in-person camp and turn it into an online camp. Uh, And they kindly asked me to help out with them for their August session, which I'm really excited to be doing. Uh, And I'm excited to get to do some mock trial camping, coaching, whatever that might be, uh, and everything in between. So I'm definitely excited to be working with them and what uh, I've already seen to be a really, really fantastic program that they do. Well, that's exciting. And it's it's strange that, you know, for some reason, people continue to let us, you know, talk about mock trial in different forums for one reason or another, maybe someone will catch on eventually. But in the meantime, uh, Sam, thanks for uh, letting us, you know, rant about ourselves for a minute. Let's jump back into our main conversation. Uh, and let's start the way that we like to start with every one of our guests. You obviously have a history in mock trial that goes back several years. So give us the origin story of how it started for you. Oh, absolutely. Uh, before I begin, though, congrats to the both of you for the new mock trial related gigs. I feel Thank like you. you guys don't do enough mock in your lives. So exactly. obviously <laughs> a bit more would be good. Right. That's what I thought. too. But yeah, um, I mean, uh, always good to start from the beginning. Uh, looking back at my origin story, um, I know you've had guests before who have probably started mock trial in like 
pre-kindergarten as their like first thing they've learned before how to spell. But for me, it actually started at Northwestern, uh, fall of 09. It was, um, it was fall orientation had just wrapped up for the freshmen and I was heading to the student center and literally the way I got involved in mock trial was my shoe was untied. Um, my shoe was untied, so I went down to tie it, and right in front of me was an advertisement for the Northwestern Mock Trial Team. Uh, they were having an info session literally five minutes from when I was tying my shoe um, at the student center where I was at. And to add to all of the happenstance, it looked like it was going to rain, so I was already planning on chilling in the student center for a bit. So I figured I might as well just attend an info session, see what this mock trial was all about. Um, I sat in for like an hour. The president, uh, Jennifer Berman, and the vice president, Catherine Lynn, um, just did like a full-on session about mock trial. Northwestern was supposedly like killing it. They had sent two teams to Nats. Um, the room was filled with like 80-plus kids who all had like done mock trial before and were like severely interested in it. Um, I figured... I might as well give it a shot. Um, I didn't try to do an attorney role, though, because seeing all the other folks and all of them wanting to be an attorney, um, wasn't going to try that. But I saw no one was trying out for a witness um, because you either tried out as an attorney. If you were doing both, you tried it as an attorney. If you did just witness, you tried it as a witness. So I figured I'd try that. Um, I tried out as a witness. I had no idea what I was doing. But I guess the coaches thought differently, so they let eight people on the team that year, and I was lucky to be one of the eight. Um, I, I did all year as just a witness trying to figure out what the heck I just signed up for. Um, one of my first tournaments was Gamty, so I quickly learned what mock trial was about. <laughs> wow. They eased you wow. in. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was definitely a, a trial by fire, to say the least. Uh, and then I stuck around for sophomore year. I still kept doing it. Um, I stayed as a witness, but they made me a first-year captain. So my job was to captain a team of nine first-years, half of who had never done mock before. So that was my uh, that was my inauguration and in learning what uh, like the rules of evidence because I had to teach other people. Um, then junior year, actually attorneyed. Senior year, kept doing it. Um, and then, yeah, by four years, I had learned what this mock trial thing was about. And then as soon as I graduated, did not do my trial for the first two years of law school, but missed it enough. So I decided I'd jump back and start a coach in Chicago. And the activity has been stuck with me ever since. Well, Sam, I'm actually really interested about one specific thing in sort of your progression, which is, and I don't, I don't know if this is the case or not, but it's interesting to me that you competed at Northwestern and now you coach at UChicago, um, like two of AMTA's premier programs, who of course both exist in the same city. So I, I don't know if there's any sort of a friendly rivalry between those two programs or a not friendly, friendly rivalry. I don't know. But was there any like weirdness or hesitation on your part to compete at Northwestern and then coach at Chicago? So there is, like most things in my life, a story behind it. So <laughs> good. I was hoping so. <laughs> That's always the hope. But yeah, no, my, uh, my senior year, I remember it was actually uh, it was April 25th, it was my birthday. And the, uh, the mock trial team did a very bad job at throwing a surprise party for me um, in that I literally could see them planning it around me for months so that when they actually last minute told me to go, it wasn't. But one of my teammates, uh, David Forbes, 
um, during my birthday party, came up to me and he asked me, because he'd known I was going to Chicago, it's already been decided. And he, he was a sophomore at the time, so he had two more years of competing. And I think he was the only one to know before I knew that I would end up coaching Chicago, because he asked me to do a two-year non-compete. Um, half jokingly, half serious, that I wouldn't coach Chicago as long as he was still competing. I had no intention at the time of coaching Chicago. I was a Northwestern kid, so I easily agreed. And as so happens, one L and two L year, I didn't want to coach because I had so many other things. One, anyone who's done law school, one L year is not fun. And I was on journal my two L year, which is doubly not fun. Um, so I didn't do it. But then three L year, I actually thought, look, I've got a job lined up, um, school. I kind of think I know how law school works at this point. So I have more time to do something that's not law school. So I figured I would coach. And ironically, I, not even ironically, it's just in actuality, I reached out to Northwestern first. Um, I realized that my 3L year, my fr- those former freshmen when I was a senior, the ones who I actually recruited would be in charge. So I emailed them, uh, emailed the president saying, hey, would you like me to help out? Heard nothing. Um, I followed up like two weeks later, heard nothing, followed up like a month later, nothing. Uh, so I was like, all right. So then I was sitting in class one day and I'm like, well, if Northwestern's not responding, I'll just send Chicago a message, see what happens. Uh, they responded within an hour. Uh, we had coffee in a day and I was coaching them within a week. Um, and it was hilarious because then I ran into Northwestern competing some of my old teammates and it's always just been a running gag of the fact that they keep asking if I'd be interested in coming back but I mean by the time you've coached the Chicago at this point I know more Chicago kids than I know Northwestern kids so I've stuck around but that's pretty much how it all worked out was Northwestern forgot to respond to emails for a few months and I ended up uh, coaching the uh, Crosstown Rivals. (laughs) It's a good lesson answer your emails kids. (laughs) Well, so uh, now that we've kind of gotten your background story, Sam, I want to turn us to what has the kind of the, probably the biggest revelation that happened after the, the board meeting, and that is that the AMTA season for 2020-2021 is going completely online through regionals uh, and I believe through orcs right now, um, and we're still kind of on, you know, figuring out what's going to happen until then. Um, but obviously this was a, a big decision uh, to, to take it online. And I just kind of want to gauge what both of your thoughts are on this. So Ben, I'll just go to you first. What do you think? Yeah. So I, um, I mean, there's a lot that's wrapped up into this, but the biggest thing I'll say is I was pleased by the board's decision to just take the plunge. Right. And we've talked about it before. Nobody, nobody wants to do online mock trial as opposed to in-person mock trial, right? I mean, there, maybe there's one or two people, but it's a, it's a small group. Um, but it's the reality of the world we live in. And I was, I was listening, watching along with the board meeting the whole time. And I was struck by, I think it was, uh, Tom Shear, former guest on the podcast who had a specific sort of set of remarks about like how important it is for AMTA to take seriously their responsibility to their students and how this shows that AMTA is taking this seriously and sending the message that like, hey, don't have an in-person invitational. Don't, you know, be frivolous about this. 
uh, it's really important. And then from a stability perspective, you know, I mean, it, it allows people to plan for this upcoming year. It allows people to say, this is how this is going to work. Let's start to learn how to do it. Let's start to figure out how it's going to go. And candidly, I think it was an inevitability anyways. It it it, it was going to end up being that way. I, I do like the fact that we haven't made the NCT decision yet. I think the NCT will probably end up being online as well. But we can leave that a little bit longer and, and sort of hold out hope that maybe things get better by next April and, and we can do the NCT in person. But uh, generally, I was pleased with the decision. I think it was the right one. I think it was the right time. And I think it will give the community good guidance and good stability moving forward. Uh, Sam, obviously, you know, we I don't know if we've given you a chance yet to give your necessary disclaimer. So maybe at the beginning of this answer, you can do that. But you were a part of that decision. So what, what were your thoughts on it? Well, yeah. Uh, so obviously, as a board candidate, um, I did not officially vote on the matters, but I was privy to discussions. And as Ben said, as a disclaimer, any and all comments I make, of course, are in my personal capacity and should not be at all attributed to AMPT as an organization. Um, but to your question, Drew, in terms of thoughts, I I agree that it's the call to make, because I think the most important thing more than anything was giving students a heads up of what to expect for this upcoming season. Um, I, I think I can speak for a lot of folks in that there's a lot of questions that are coming from the season. It's not just from a, a mock trial perspective. It's going to be from a class perspective, uh, like whether you're going to be in person or remote, whether you're going to have classes or not. Um, and like for a lot of students, um, it, having questions about what organizations they want to join and a lot of the factors that might go into that decision. So it would be hard for a program to try to navigate the full year. I know many of my students have been reaching out about what Chicago should be doing for this upcoming season. And without any guidance of what to expect, it's difficult. So I think it was like the decision to go online, uh, making sure students knew as soon as possible was important because now students can at least plan for what the next seven months are going to actually look like for all of us. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with both of those sentiments. I mean, I think one of the things that people may have not even been thinking about, but for a lot of seniors, you know, they're trying to decide whether or not they're going to go back to school or not, whether they're going to take a year, a semester, or whatnot off. And I wouldn't be shocked if this plays somewhat of a role in that for people. I mean, I think for a lot of kids, you know, this is an, a mock trial is a really important part of, of their college career. They want to finish it in a certain way and knowing, okay, it's going to be online and, you know, coming to terms with that reality is important to have that decision made before school starts and they have to either be on campus or not. So I think from that perspective, it was a hugely important decision to make, to make expediently. And while as I will say later, I'm not thrilled that it wasn't on the agenda beforehand. I'm glad the decision was made. Nonetheless, it was an important discussion to have. And it's something that the longer we waited, the more people were going to be left to the wayside and and confused and frustrated. And I think that coming to a decision, whether it's the, the, the one that everyone's the happiest with, regardless, it's the right one to do. And making a decision on it was the right thing to do at that time. Yeah. And I think the, the thing is, too, there's been so much throughout the course of the last several months that has been canceled, right? Obviously the rest of our 2020 season got canceled. And while virtual mock trial is not ideal, there is something to be said about the fact that we know right now, we think about how many things are up in the air. You know, I, this we're recording this on July 26th. It's the first weekend that MLB, you know, played baseball. And 
who knows if they're going to be able to finish their season and, 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 you know, that other sports are kind of, you know, in question and so many other activities are in question. And I, and I think there is something really valuable about the fact that we know right now that we will crown a national champion, you know, in 2021, like that, that's important that that matters. We know that we can say to schools right now, we will have regionals. We will have orcs. We will do the things that we normally do. Uh, and I just think from an institutional perspective, I was pleased to see AMTA just say, look, nobody likes this. You know, I, I get it. I don't particularly like it. It's like, I've done, I, you know, I've coached virtual mock trial. It's hard. It's different. It's weird. But I, I just think it was a, it was an inevitability. And when you're in that circumstance where something is inevitable, it's better to just get it over with and make that decision and adjust there. And then it gives us the maximum amount of time for AMTA to issue guidance. Uh, you know, we're going to get to the case in a minute, but for the case committee to plan for a case that they know is going to be tried entirely virtually. Now that changes things a lot and it changes, uh, I would imagine how you can approach certain topics. So uh, I thought it was the right call and, and I'm hoping that, you know, we get some guidance pretty soon so that we can start to figure out what you know, virtual trials are going to look like. And the other big thing about this for me is that it kind of paves the path for all the other teams when they're trying to figure out how are we going to do fall invitationals. I know a lot of questions were being asked. Are fall invitationals going to be in person or not? And I think it is so important. Like you just cannot take a risk like having an in-person invitational this fall. And I think when AMTA said, hey, it's just going to be online. That to me gave the green light to in my opinion, probably a lot of teams that were like, okay, well, if, if the regionals are going to be online, there's no reason to, to try to do an in-person invitation. Let's just do it online. And that's the safer, more responsible decision. And I'm, I'm glad that it was made. And like I said, that it hopefully paved the path for a lot of those teams to make the right decision. So l- let's go ahead and move on. Um, one of the things that Ben just mentioned and kind of the other thing that I think is going to affect people the most um, in terms of the coming months is that the case topic was changed. Um, obviously, the, the the case committee is going to push back the date at which it's exactly going to be released, and there's going to be some rewriting involved. But essentially, they're doing a new topic uh, based on what's kind of going on. There was obviously, uh, Brandon Harper released a statement on why that's happening. Um, but I'll say for my part, I think that, you know, probably a good thing to do based on, you know, current events and everything was happening. And I also think to Ben's point that you just made about this being online, I think that there are certain changes that can be made to improve a case when you know it's going to be online. And so whether that really played a large role in it or not, I like the fact that the case committee can now take that into consideration when they're writing the case and and into consideration just with what types of exhibits and what type of witnesses they're going to be using and what can best be conveyed over Zoom. Sam, let me ask you this along those lines. I, I know, so you're on the civil case committee. I know you can't tell us anything secret, but uh, what has it been like for you guys the the last couple of weeks with the decision to change the case topic? And then to the extent you can speak generally just about the approach that you guys are taking uh, with a, you know, a case that's going to be tried pretty much exclusively virtually. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, in terms of how things are currently proceeding with the uh, civil case committee, uh, I'd say it's honestly, it's not really that much different than um, how COZAC proceeded. So um, pretty much our entire committee um, is the exact same as the committee that did the COZAC case with 
two exceptions. One is uh, Dan Hoy is not on the uh, the civil case committee um, because he is chairing the NCT civil case committee. So he's got that case on his hands. And I look forward to seeing what Dan's going to cook up for that one because <laughs> uh, Dan has always been a, a good source of uh, amazing character and uh, fun ideas. So I look forward to that one. But in Dan's stead, we have Elise Wilson, um, who is currently a coach at Georgia Tech, and she has been phenomenal in terms of jumping in with an established group dynamic and um, holding her own in, like I said, a group of us that have been, uh, who have almost over a year of working together with the case, um, and sometimes forget that we're all assuming we all remember everything we did last time, so... It's overall been pretty much the same process in terms of we're all currently drafting several different parts of the case um, to the question in terms of addressing online. I don't think it's really factored too much in terms of like the idea generation. Um, We're still coming up with the same way. We still want to make sure it's a case that is um, fun to try, that attacks um, interesting legal issues, that has a wide range of witness portrayals so that students of all calibers, but also of all witness varieties are able to try the case. Um, in terms of the online aspect, though, we're definitely keeping that in the back of our minds in terms of making sure um, we evaluate as we come up with ideas how they might work online. As you said, um, there might be certain exhibits that don't necessarily work online as well as they do in person. Um, on the converse side, though, there might be an entire realm of topics and ideas we can do that you could never have even tried online so we're definitely we feel like we have this we're doing the same process but we're keeping an eye towards the whole online versus in-person difference yeah that that makes sense and let me kind of ask you this as as a follow-up a little bit so you guys you know again the, the so brandon spoke at the beginning of the meeting about some of the feedback they've gotten about the original case topic the one with the um confidential informant that was gunned down and the state created danger doctrine. And that's the topic that has been scrapped. You guys obviously had to basically just like turn the ship in a very short period of time. Uh, And I have to imagine, you know, well, I have no doubt that the committee is up to the challenge. I have to imagine that that has to be challenging that you've been spending some period of time developing this new, you know, this, this topic for a while and had been approved. And then, you know, I mean, it's a pretty intense, short period of time. I know that you've got a little bit more flexibility on the release date, but, you know, I mean, you're really trying to condense that process into a month and a half. And I have to imagine that presents kind of a unique challenge. It provides some challenges because it is true. Um, the committee was ready to proceed on the original case topic as it had been approved, but with the switch did require us to go back to the drawing board to come up with a new topic And then, of course, prepare the case that we're going to be trying for the next several months. Um, In terms of the time frame, though, it it was part of the reason that we asked for the extension was to make sure that we had a decent amount of time. Um, I think it's as uh, Mike Gelfin said when he once was a a guest on this podcast, the time frame in terms of when we're actually drafting this case isn't isn't like a month, several months long process. We coordinate with each other we discuss with each other but the writing process spans probably in terms of just weeks as opposed to months so with the extension it's still granted a shorter time than we've dealt with like at least the last go around but not as substantially so as you might imagine 
Um, I promised that we weren't busy all writing nonstop between um, the mid-April to the board meeting, and then all of it was uh, scrapped aside. Um, A, that's just not the normal process, but also B, just like most folks, uh, our committee work was a little disrupted by the pandemic that was going on. So um, between both of those, we are probably slightly behind where we would have been had we had the original case topic, but not into an insurmountable degree. And partly is with the additional few weeks, we should be able to iron out any issues that we do. Um, The extra weeks, I think, are less so for drafting purposes or making sure we write everything. Those last additional weeks are extremely useful for our proofreaders to have a chance to look at it so that we have additional pair of eyes. It gives us a chance to look at it with a fresh pair of eyes because I was actually working on drafting some stuff right before this um, discussion of ours. And I promise you, like stuff that I wrote just a couple days ago that I'm looking at now, I'm like, what was I thinking? (laughs) Or on the flip side, I'm like, oh, I actually had something really going there. So the the element of time, especially when it comes to drafting these, is just more so that we have the time to think these through. Because I think, as this podcast shows, there are folks out there who will give this case all of the attention, uh, more so than we probably warrant. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) But I want to make sure, and I think I speak for the committees, we want to make sure that we give students a product that they can then delve enormous amounts of times to uh, and then dissect. So that's mostly what the additional process is for. And, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that. I mean, it it makes sense. I mean, I think that to so much degree, the standard that people have for AMTA cases is exceedingly high. I mean, people are spending so much time working on it. And I think that there's a good level of trust at this point developed between the students um, and coaches with with you guys and your committee that you're going to put forth a great product. And I'm, I'll say this, I'm extremely grateful to the amount of time that you guys do expend on it. Uh, one thing I, I did want to mention, and this is something that I actually don't really have as huge of a problem with it on extending the case deadline, changing the topic, or even about moving the, the season online. But uh, because I always vent about the board, I'm going to do it now. I, I just don't love the fact that neither of these things were included on the agenda beforehand. And a lot of this comes down to the fact that I, as as people, you know, the 20 people that were watching the live stream, I, I was one of them, Ben was one of the others, and, and clearly not a lot of people were, were getting a chance to watch it. And I think it was a great thing that we were able to take advantage of, but it, I guess, just sort of is upsetting to me that so many people are so blindsided by these things because they have no way of knowing, oh, wait, the case is changing. Oh, you know, okay, the, the deadline is is different now. And it's not that those are bad things per se, but it just opens the door for a lot of people to get surprised. And I mean, frankly, I I would be shocked if every single person read the, every single team had at least one person that read the board meeting minutes. Um, But I just think that we need to do everything we can to make sure that that information is out to people as early as possible. And I think that the, the worst example of this was when the, the price of the, the, uh, the case fee was raised. I think that was a much worse example of something being changed at the board. The invitational meeting. license fee, you mean? Yes, thank you, thank you. That's what I, I was trying to get to. Um, but when that was changed, it really affected people's budgets and whatnot. Uh, obviously, neither of these two changes were things that were going to substantially affect 
people that much. And like we had just discussed about the online, it's probably good to make that decision sooner rather than later. But I I do think that I want to at least just say that I wish things like this were included on the agenda or in some way sent out that, hey, we're going to include a discussion about this so that people have some heads up about it if they're choosing to look. Yeah, and I think I'm trying to remember if it was Justin who said, at least on one of them, that uh, like, because I know there's like, because I was a part of a motion to ban hostile witnesses that was in new business because it had gotten drafted and submitted later than the deadline. And so I, I know there's some deadline things there, but I, I do think it would be good to find a way from a procedural standpoint to uh, just kind of make sure that everything, like, I mean, little things, you know, like I think there was a, like a sort of a decision to honor someone. Um, and then also there was the decision to, you know, when Toby Heightens was given the Neil Smith, which is a fantastic and well-deserved uh, thing. Like, you know, that doesn't need to be there ahead right, of time, right, right. but, and obviously I think it was a bit of a surprise. So, so it wouldn't have been, but um let me let me ask this though, uh, and I, maybe I'll I'll kick it to Sam first, and and then to Drew while we're still talking about online mock trial. Um, from a coach's perspective, you know, uh, Sam, I know you didn't coach at TBC this year, but you judged, right? That is correct. Okay, yeah, but Regina did 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 compete, and so I'm sure you sort of talked to them about that. What are your thoughts, just logistically, on online mock trial? What are you seeing so far that you think? Uh, is working and not working. And just as you, as a coach, I mean, the three of us are all going to have to sort of approach this, this upcoming year. How are you starting to think about it? Yeah. I mean, definitely as a coach and I'm also on the committee that's helping come up with uh, one last time tournament that's coming up. Oh yeah. That's uh, nice. for the senior send off. So there's definitely been a, um, a lot of discussions that I've been a part of and a lot of thinking on my part of online mock trial, but to loop to your question, Ben, in terms of how, TBC went as a, a judge's perspective. Um, I think I, there was one overall comforting thought and then just the what we need to do thought. So the comforting thought is at the end of the day, I felt like I was still watching mock trial. Um, I felt like at the end of the day, it was still the activity that I've spent way too much time on. Um, the same like witness aspects and attorney aspects are still the things that I'm gauging primarily the performance on. And I know Ben, you and I pre TBC had a small discussion in terms of like whether like attorneys personalities can really be conveyed through um, a virtual medium and watching the attorneys like compete against head to head, some of the best in the country, I still felt that their personalities were able to sing through Um, Many of them I had actually seen in person, so I didn't feel like I was losing their essence watching it on a screen as opposed to a few feet away. Um, In terms of the changes, though, I do think there are some aspects that are definitely different. Um, Big one for me is I think demos are going to be wildly different in an online setting than in an in-person setting. And I think that's possibly to benefit. It'll be different, but I think we can incorporate demos in ways that demos are just naturally clunky in real life that aren't going to be the case in online. Um, In that same vein, though, I feel like some of our technical skills and technical equipment might be more tested in an online setting than reality. Um, I think people's camera setups, their visual setups, their audio setups um, might all have a better impact. Um, but I don't think that's any different than when students are able to afford like better demos or whatnot. We're just shifting the costs to a different place. But those are things that I think 
are the big question marks are like, how are we going to make the technology aspects equitable? But I'm co pretty confident that the activity is still going to remain the same and that the better advocate on average should hopefully win. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think that it's it's interesting because I'm approaching this from the perspective of coaching a team that's going to be competing at the online empire tournament um, this coming September. Yeah, September. Uh, and so a lot of the preparation for that, what we've been doing, um, but also the team that I coach in Massachusetts and, and what we're going to be doing, we still haven't even heard whether it's going to be online or not up there for that high school team. So I have no idea what I'm expecting. I, I, I mean, I'm hoping it's going to be online. We're not going to be able to do it in person if it is. But um, it, it's really interesting. And, and Sam, I think a lot of your points I really echo that from when I watched uh, Trial by Combat, I, I agree that I think that it, it still feels like mock trial. It feels um, there are aspects, obviously, that are different. And I totally agree about the demos. But I do think that it's still, it still works. Um, and I overwhelmingly agree about the, the technology. I mean, one of the things that I think is, is going to be interesting is the, the unfortunate reality of how good your Wi-Fi connection is matters like a ton in how well you're going to be able to compete. Uh, I think that, you know, not ever, I mean, if you're at, if you're all on campus together and in the same place and you're you know doing that from your team is in one spot and the other team's in another spot, you know, that's one way to do it. And that may work very well, but if people are all at home and you have 12, you know, different screens that are all different competitors I mean, odds are someone's going to cut out at some point. And if it's in the middle of a speech, it's just really devastating. So I think that that's going to be a really frustrating hurdle to get over. Um, and I'll, I'll say this. I think that, Sam, I think you're right that the, the money uh, and the cost of demos and certain other aspects of mock trial that you have, like really nice, you know, uh, like just even within like each of your documents, whether you have each of them laminated and things like that, there are certain just small costs that, that add up in mock trial. Um, and I, I agree that those are being shifted somewhere else. And what I think I find most upsetting is that a lot of it is going to come down to things that are just completely outside of kids' control. And I think that it's going to have more of an impact even than even like a laminated piece of paper versus a not laminated piece of paper. Let me let me ask you guys because I I think all of that is true and and I I one thing that I feel like I've heard I feel like it maybe came up briefly during the board of directors meeting and then I feel like I've talked to someone else about it is I've I've heard this notion that there's a possibility uh, that Amta could consider like shrinking the like size of the number of people who would compete in a round, whether I guess the only option would be go from, probably would be go to go from three six to two. To um, yeah. Six, yeah. Six to four, you know, three, I guess from three attorneys to sort of the law school model of two attorneys and two witnesses. Um, and I, I think the rationale that I've heard is that it's kind of harder, you know, these trials are long and they're already long in person. And then when you're doing it on your computer, you know, it's just kind of harder to, to do that. I, I'm really skeptical on that perspective. I, I, I would be very, I mean, it would be a seismic shift uh, to reduce from, you know, three, you know, three attorneys to two attorneys, three, three witnesses to two witnesses, um, you know, for this upcoming year it would be just a massive, massive change. And while I kind of see the point that, you know, these are long trials, I guess they're, they're long trials in person too. And, and, I don't know. I, I've, I, I don't know if it's just sort of the person who doesn't, you know, as the head coach who doesn't want to like have to 
change everything on the fly with, you know, how many teams you have and all that stuff. But I mean, what do you guys think about that? Cause I, I feel like I just, every time I hear about it, I feel skeptical that it makes sense to try to radically change the activity just because we're going to have to be doing virtual trials. I'll be, I'll be brief. I'm against that. I think that that just does not sound like mock trial that I'm familiar with. doesn't sound like what, I mean, and, and it's not to say that all any change is bad, but I just think that that sounds, I, I think that even just three is small. I mean, only three witnesses is just not a lot. And look, I'm not advocating to make the trials bigger. They're long enough as is, but I think that I, I, pretty rarely get bored in trials. I mean, I think that it's on you to keep them engaging. And I think that it's not that much to ask for a three-hour trial. Um, I think that the ones that I've watched um, obviously were shorter. I haven't seen a full three-person online trial, but I see no reason that I would be less engaged in it than I am when I'm in person. So I, I would not be for it. I don't think it makes any sense to change. And I think it would just, it would feel different. And in a really negative way, and I don't see much pro to it. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely echo Drew's uh, sentiment that it would be different. I think there's no question that if we jump from two v two v two slash three v three or four v four six v six, however you want to count it, um, it's just naturally going to be different. So, I mean, if such a change would have to be made, the only way would be you'd have to make a bunch of different changes, right? Like speaking from in terms of a case, right? Um, you The case, you can't just take any old AMTA case and just make it a 2v2. Um, if changes were made, like you'd have to make changes across the board um, in terms of what the case would look like. You'd have to make changes in terms of like what we do with roster sizes. Um, we'd have to do changes in terms of that. So, I mean, it's definitely one where if such a change were to be made, and I think similar to Ben, I've heard those echoed thoughts about why, um, there would be a cascade of changes in terms of how it would look like after those cascades. Um, I definitely agree. It's just going to be different. It's hard to know exactly how like different, like in what way, because like the law school version does like two V twos, but it has less of an impact on witnesses. Um, law school also, most of those tournaments are kind of one and done deals while well, we kind of stick with our cases for a year long. So yeah, um, it's definitely one of those ones where I think, um, it's hard to gauge what the end product would be, but I do know that it would definitely have to be different than what we do now, just because like that third witness and that middle attorney does add a lot of variation in terms of what we see. Yeah. And, and I, I, there's, you know, so many, like if we went to two V two, right. Every attorney has to give a statement. Um, it's a fascinating sort of, there's a lot of strategic, uh, things that would, uh, change there. I think the last thing I'll say on it before we move on to a different topic is like, no matter what we're doing with, and I know like, this is not a critique. This is not a criticism. Um, I know that lots of people um, are hard at work, like writing rules and writing protocols and figuring out how this is going to work. It is not going to happen overnight. I don't expect it to happen overnight, but these, like, if that is a change that is going to be made, AMTA cannot blindside the community with it. Um, there has to be, whether it's a survey or even just like a, we are considering the following changes, uh, give us your thoughts, or even just like, we are considering the following changes and we'll let you know in two, three weeks what we decide. I just, if like, 
if the case drops in early September or whenever it drops and it's like all of a sudden, it's, and I don't think this will happen, but it's a two V two situation and it just vastly changes like how many students I need, you know, cause like I can't afford to field four or five teams or whatever. Um, you know, that's the type of stuff that I just really, really hope that AMSA communicates very clearly and gives people within reason as much advance notice as possible. Because again, I understand that, these types of decisions, like this is all new. We are all to some degree making this up as we go along. And I know everybody's operating in good faith and doing the best they can, but like programs and coaches are making decisions right now uh, to get ready for the season. And, you know, the more heads up we have about big systemic changes that are going to be happening, just, I think the better things are going to go. Yeah, I mean, just like I, I said before that I don't love when we change things right at the board meeting. Changing things as the case is dropped is uh, going to be a little, <laughs> that ship has sailed, guys. I think that uh, we may have a ride on our hands if we try to make a, a shocking change like that when the case gets dropped. So I, I hope that does not happen. Well, in either respect, there were a number of other things that uh, were discussed at the board meeting that I think we want to talk about before we finish up. There were a couple of other decisions that were made. A lot of these we discussed um, on our preview episode, and so we kind of want to follow up on them. Uh, One of them has to do with a rule that was passed having to do with the CRC, uh, the Competition Response Committee, uh, being able to issue uh, warnings, private warnings to teams where they basically... Uh, determine that uh, someone has maybe committed a material invention of fact, but maybe it's not egregious and so it's not sanctionable, but they wanted to give them a heads up, sort of a combination information and also a little bit of, I think, a slap on the wrist, like, hey, you should probably stop doing this. Uh, I found this actually to be the most interesting part of the board meeting. And here's my brief perspective on it. I think at times, uh, because this motion did pass, it passed in one form and then it was amended and repassed a little bit later in the day. Um, and I think a slightly more specific and more effective form. Uh, I think sometimes we have a tendency as an organization to be like overly rules concerned, which is not shocking for an organization made up of attorneys and future attorneys. Uh, and sometimes I think we get too sort of kind of mired in the quagmire of trying to you know, debate statutory uh, issues and things like that. Uh, The one area that I can specifically say I want us to do that in is anything having to do with the CRC, right? I mean, we have seen, and not getting into the merits of it at all, because Drew and I did that for two and a half hours, you know, several episodes ago, but we have seen the CRC make a massive decision that impacted this organization now about a year ago, a little more than a year ago. Uh, And they make other very, very impactful decisions. And I don't have any problem with like the concept of like this concept in and of itself, the notion of CRC saying to a team, uh, Hey, what you did, it's not, was, we were not going to sanction you, but here's what was wrong about it. And, you know, it's not altogether that different from advisory opinions, which we've talked about. And I think at one point there was some discussion about the CRC, maybe like releasing, a set of like, hey, these are like things that we found to be material inventions of fact. We're not going to tell you what programs, but like just to give teams some guidance. Um, and I think that would be great. But here, I just, I don't think this got specific enough on how exactly these warnings would function 
in terms of like, would this have an impact on a future CRC proceeding? Uh, what sort of precedential value does this warning carry? Uh, those are difficult questions and they would require like rulemaking. And I just don't know if we really got that far yet. And, and you know, hopefully it's something that doesn't really become an issue. But if I'm a program who gets one of these warnings, I would like to know, hey, if I get another complaint against me and you're 50 fit, you're on the fence, is it going to go against me because I got an earlier warning? Um, so I don't know. I think it's an interesting topic. And I found the discussion to be illuminating in terms of getting to hear the directors kick around just sort of general. You know, some directors were like, the CRC is got way too much power and others were like, I think this is super reasonable. So I thought it was a interesting discussion and I'm sort of intrigued by where this is going to go. Yeah. Uh, ben, I'm going to echo some of what you just said. And the first of which is that I totally agree that it was really fascinating that this was live stream, that I was able to listen to the discussion that surrounded this. I honestly, when we first looked at this, this wasn't one of the three things that we highlighted. I didn't really think this was going to be a super exciting, interesting conversation, and it really turned into one. And a lot of it comes down to what you just said, Ben, about this uncertainty. We just, I think that there is a inherent vagueness of what is a warning? What does that mean? If Does this mean that if I do the same thing again, am I going to get sanctioned? Does this mean that what you're doing is okay, but be careful, don't go any further? Like, There's a lot of nuances to this that aren't clear by the wording of the rule itself. And by being present for the conversation, a lot of that was hashed out. I don't think it was hashed out completely, but a lot of it was explained. Some of the people that had been a part of uh, the making of the rule explained some of their logic behind it. And I will say that for my part, I was a little bit upset that initially, when it was first passed, it didn't include any of this language that has just been discussed. And I was really glad that in the new business, it was brought up to add some of that spe specificity and add some of the details of what was discussed because – for people that aren't on the, one of the 20 people listening to that live stream, they have no idea what this warning means. It's this ambiguous, like whatever a warning is. And I think that we can all intuit a basic understanding that it's not a good thing to get a warning. It's, you know, it doesn't mean you should like, give yourself a pat on the back. But at the same time, we need to understand what actual penalty value this has, if any, or what this means moving forward. Um, and the other thing I'll say to this, and this is something that, again, was amended at the new business, is that I wish this was public. And the reason I wish it was public, I, still anonymous, obviously. I think everything should always be anonymous. But I think that one of the lessons that we learned when the memo was released was that the point on invention of fact, which is, to me, where most of this is going to come up, is that there is this really big gray area. Um, and it's it's an area where a lot of teams like to live and kind of play around with. And the problem is that no one really knows where you cross in that gray area from okay, acceptable to nope, that's you know a sanction and you're going to get you know in huge trouble. And I think that the more warnings and other just CRC uh, decisions that are made about like, hey, this not okay, this okay, or just like whatever details in between, the more like basically case law that we have to look at and identify, the better idea everyone else has of what is the idea um, behind this rule and, and the better idea people have to stay within the rules. Um, I really, I'll say this briefly, I strongly believe that people very rarely are intentionally breaking the rules when it comes to invention of fact. I like to believe that at least. I don't think anyone's thinking of those, ha ha, like I'm going to beat the system. 
I think that most people are trying to do their best to be creative and interesting, but while being within the rules. And I think that the more information we have on it, the more rulings that are made, the better people are going to be at staying within those rules. So I wish that all of them were made public. But that being said, I agree with the general concept that it's good for there to be something before you're in massive trouble versus them saying, you know, nothing at all. Um, and I think that it's good to be able to have something in between nothing and everything. In terms of my two cents, I echo Drew's comments in the terms that I think a lot of students and a lot of feedback you hear is that a lot of students just ask for as much guidance as possible in terms of trying to figure out the system. And I do think um, these a couple of the CRC motions that were passed during the board meeting I think push us in a direction where more information and more guidance will be available to students. So I think the warnings make sense, like giving someone a heads up that something's wrong as opposed to just a carte blanche you violated or you have not violated. Giving a little bit more distinction is going to be useful for teams going forward so that they know something's up and they can go accordingly. And similar, one of the other CRC rules that passed, of course, was that the CRC doesn't have to reauthorize a document every year. Um, the practical benefit there is that it gives the CRC the ability to be able to maintain some sort of guidance document when it comes to material inventions. Um, And it's a good balancing act because we obviously don't want this to become essentially the new West law where all teams are expected to search case law precedent for uh, a material invention from a decade ago and be held that they have to be held to that standard. But um, giving a guidance document, the ability to be a living document that folks can work is going to be helpful. I think the general trend towards giving students more information, I think is just going to be, is the ideal. And I think that's where the motions are helping us get towards. So I do think there are things that need to get ironed out. um, But at least hopefully this is pushing us in the right direction of making sure students have a better sense of what's going on. I think that's fair. And I, I, I'm glad you flagged the other CRC uh, motion related to them not having to reauthorize documents. I think, you know, it it is, it's a tough topic. And you always want to be cognizant of the fact that the CRC, like the rest of the board, and like everyone on every committee, are just volunteers. And the more that we sort of give them, the more they have to do. And, and we don't want to take advantage of people's time and generosity. Um sort of more than this activity already does. Uh, But another thing that happened at the uh, board meeting, and this was one that we did talk about in our preview episode, was the uh, scouting, uh, scouting ban. So this, I thought, was another very interesting and spirited discussion. uh, And it did end up passing when, I think when we discussed it, it was written maybe in the minutes as just a, um, or it had been proposed as just at orgs, but it ended up getting expanded to, the first two rounds at Orcs and the NCT. Um, I think for this upcoming year, it, it was it was amended to add a sunset provision for the first year that it happens in person because this upcoming year, it's largely irrelevant anyways. Like scouting, unless you can somehow get into a Zoom room, it sounds like it's not really going to be an option anyways. Um, but they did, you know, this did pass. And so the first in-person season that we have, whether it's 2022, I mean, hopefully it's, it's 2022, uh, you know, scouting will be banned from the first two rounds at Orcs and Nationals. Um, Sam, from a coach's perspective, I'll go to you, and then I'm kind of curious. Drew and I kind of talked a lot about our our thoughts on this in our last episode, but um, where do you? I understand you're a board candidate, so there's limited things you can say, but just what are your thoughts on the notion of limiting scouting and the rationale behind 
this and sort of where the board ended up landing on it. No, it's definitely it's definitely an interesting thought, and I think even before this ended up being an agenda member, an agenda item. I think we've all, in our capacities as either coaches or even competitors, we've all discussed the uh, the benefits and uh, problems with scouting. I mean, I've been on both sides of the fence. I remember, as I said, my one of my first tournaments as a competitor was Gamty. Um, I was a single side witness, so I was able to spend the other side watching top rounds. And some of the best rounds of mock trial were from that initial tournament. Uh, some of the demo ideas that I would then continue to rip off for the next decade came from that Gamty tournament. Um, so I definitely see the benefits of having younger members be able to watch. And the more rounds you can watch, the better. Um, usually you should hopefully know your team. So seeing others is great. Um, I mean, on the flip side, though, I Chicago was fortunate enough to be at one of the orcs that did go on. Um, and I remember round one, I would watch with my A team, but I went to my B team's room to help them prep. I talked through, you know, get everything set up. And then when I came back to my A team's room, uh, I've got uh, four scouts lined up in the back of the room and I knew exactly which program. Um, there was four because Northwestern had two teams in the division, so they didn't need to send two people. So I knew exactly what teams they were. And in response, I did ask our additional students to then go, of course, watch the other teams in the A division to balance it. So, I mean, there is that like escalating effect of, especially even with the new work system, we know who we're going to face, meaning you only have to watch four teams to get half like your guaranteed hardest round, assuming that it all lines up. So I definitely saw both sides. So when it came to where the board ultimately decided, I think it's the happy medium. Because I think it was said during the board meeting, we know what scouting looks like. We've been doing it this whole time. We don't really have a sense of a universe where it's not allowed. So I think having that data alone um, is just going to be useful. So I think trying it out and having a sunset provision so the board has to bring it up again and discuss it if we want to continue it is probably the best approach just so that we kind of have both sides of the argument. Sam, I'm intrigued as to what you think of this. And again, obviously, you know, answer whatever you are comfortable and able to answer. But within the the realm of like what this does to to the knowledge that people have about what other people are running, obviously, you now can't go get it yourself. But isn't there this inherent imbalance now of teams that are well connected, that still know people and are able to find out what people's call is? Because I mean, I don't know. Let's say that you know you're you're Northwestern and you have a B team that faces Chicago, and you now have knowledge about them because you happen to face them in an earlier round. I mean, that's just kind of an an obvious easy one. And all of a sudden, now that that A team has knowledge about Chicago A that Chicago A can't possibly know about Northwestern. Like, isn't there something to be said about scouting? kind of leveling the playing field for everyone. Everyone's allowed to do it and you can either choose to do it or not, but not making that imbalance where like, well, maybe you have more information than the other side does. Yeah, no, I mean, I definitely, yeah, that's definitely an example. And I mean, I think we've all been in that situation where we've hit a, a, a school's A or B team. And then as uh, the, either as luck would have it, or if the tab, as the tab directors decide, right. That's how that tabbing works. Right, um, absolutely. <laughs> The tabbing directors think it'll be fun for you to hit that same school's other team on the same side. Um, it does happen. And then, of course, in this universe, you would then, of course, have that data. Um, I definitely think that situation is going to happen again. It's not like we've changed the rules to avoid that. Um, in terms of like you yourself hitting teams, I think 
The counterbalance there, of course, is if you help the team you hit's opponent, it's, it will affect, of course, your own CS. So there might be some self-preservation. But even if we discount that, as you said, there might be examples where um, you might be able to get an advantage. But I th- it's all then, of course, counterbalanced with the fact that if you've only got a six-person team, be it that you um, stack th- like you uh, stack leanly or you just are at a school where you can only really muster a six-person team, um, you just don't have the uh, capacity to be able to scout even if you wanted to. Um, there's a lot of facts and considerations, and I think there's going to be edge cases in both universes. I mean, I think there are edge cases in a no-scouting universe where scouting would help balance the odds. And I think we all can think of moments where uh, in a scouting universe where not scouting would have helped balance the odds just as well. Um, it's hard, like it's one of those where it's hard which one is the objectively better one. Um, I think if it was one that was an easy question, we all wouldn't be still discussing it after all this time, right? Absolutely. No, and, and I, I think that that's totally fair. And I, I actually, I think that a lot of what you said is really valid. I guess the the other piece of this that I know that Ben and I had talked about this before is the the piece of you know, as you said, when you went to Gamty first as a first year and got to watch all these phenomenal great teams go. You know, this does take away from some of people's ability to go and do that. And I think that it's it's good that we're still preserving those third and fourth rounds that are paired high-high, um, or AA and AB, whatever. Um, and you're still able to see those those top teams go against each other. Um, but was there any consideration, or at least in, in your you know personal uh, take on it, do you have any consideration of, okay, is there something that can be done instead now to provide more you know high-level mock trial rounds to, to teams that either qualify for orcs or just to the community at large for them to be able to watch high quality rounds. Yeah. And I think, I mean, this one is a hundred percent. I can put my coach cap on cause I've been having this discussion with folks since I started coaching. Uh, cause to give some color on my years of competing, um, 2013, we were still doing the same case all year round. Um, meaning the case that I competed all year is the same as the DVD that they sold. Right. So like, if I wanted to show high level mock of a case that I was intimately familiar with, I would just have to be able to get the DVD and see some of the best teams in the country argue a case I knew. Um, once I started coaching again, we had switched to the NCT case. Um, it had been rumored all four years of my competitive career, but it took a while before they pulled the trigger. Um, and I, I, I agree with the premise. I like having an NCT case. I think it keeps it fresh. I think it helps to like even the odds a bit that, all students are pretty much starting from scratch like a month in advance. But I do think one of the issues we've seen is that like that means the the DVDs that everyone gets might not be for a case that you know. It might be a completely different case. And I think I think regardless of the scouting rules, regardless of after the sunset provision, if we stick with it because we like it or we decide to go away with it because we want to go back, um, I think it's just an ongoing discussion. And I know m- several coaches have thought of ideas of how to further it. And I think it's definitely going to be one where as a community, we can figure it out. And then as folks have ideas, I think pinging AMTA um, with their ideas is valid. Um, I think for the folks who did the 20 or so folks who did watch the board meeting, um, Brandon did make a very good effort of addressing emails that were being sent live during the board meeting. Absolutely. And, I don't think he's stopped looking at emails since Um, Brandon, I know has been looking at a lot of the feedback that he's been getting. And of course the committee chairs have. 
um, been addressing feedback we've gotten. So like just like this or any other topic we discussed about, if folks have ideas in terms of how to like better get high level mock trials people, I think it's definitely something worth pinging. And I think it's definitely worth considering because I know at orcs, even we were like, I was toying an idea with other coaches of, is there a way we could like, like film the top AA round of round three at an orcs. Um, and then we could have that as a DVD resource or something equivalent. So, um, I think it's definitely something worth considering, but I think it's something worth considering completely irrespective of the scouting rules. Yeah. I'm going to say one thing on that last point before moving us on, which is I absolutely want AMTA to start. Like it's, it's a little bit harder than filming the final round because the final round, like it's, it's a production and you can bring in like a production company and everything. Um, but like, I want them to target a few AA rounds. Like if you, let's just hypothetically say, you know, a, a AA round at a, you know, Northeastern, say it's like us in UVA. Right. And, um, yes, it's one versus 16. Sorry. It's been a few, <laughs> a few podcasts since I've made that reference. Um, but so, uh, we both film every trial. Uh, usually we kind of film from the same angle, but of course it's the last time you're doing a case. So, if once AMTA sees that's the pairing, they contact those two teams and say, Hey, can you put your cameras in two different locations? Maybe one that like faces the well and one that faces the witness and both film the trial. And then we'd like to buy that footage from you for, you know, a nominal fee or something like that. Uh, and then AMTA can turn around and release that. So that teams like exactly what you were saying. I, I about, uh, like teams being able to watch the case, you know, that 2013 was my last year competing too. And so I'm able to go back and watch those DVDs and see cases that, that I competed on. Um, I, I really think that's something worth pursuing. And especially the last thing I'll say on it is especially this coming year on zoom. So easy. Right? How easy would it be? I mean, everything I think will probably be getting recorded for the most part anyways. So like take the best, you know, have, have teams, who have really high level AA rounds in round three at orcs and ask them if they'd be willing to, you know, sell their zoom film to AMTA, um, you know, go through the steps to do that. So I like that idea. And I think that that would be a good way to build on um, sort of the progress that we've made in terms of making resources accessible to people. Um, But we've got one or two things we want to talk about before we wrap up. And one of the next things we want to talk about is something that Sam and I have in common, which is that we're on the analytics committee. We were on it uh, the past two years. And then for this upcoming year, my understanding is that you're, Sam, you're the new chair of the analytics committee. Is that right? Uh, That is correct. Um, um, Our former chair, Andy Hogan, who I think Ben can attest to, has been a phenomenal chair, um, is still on the committee. So I can assure the entire Anta community that we're still going to be fine because Andy's there. Uh, but um, they, in terms of chair, they've asked me to step in and I was honored to take the spot. And I think well-deserved because I think I completely agree with you about Andy, who has done a fantastic job. And, you know, but I know you've done a ton of work on analytics as well over the last few years. And I think my one question for you uh, about that is, you know, online mock trial is sort of a, entirely new world for all of us and i've certainly been thinking about uh like what we might need to do differently if anything what i assume we'll collect sort of the same data we always collect but uh whether or not there's anything else that we should be doing from an analytics perspective to try to gather more data both to provide to the case committee privately but also that could be useful to the community in terms of understanding the case uh 
I, I don't know if I've said I've come up with anything, but I think it's an interesting question, you know, given that every year this activity becomes sort of more uh, numbers-based and technological, and, and now we're making this huge jump. So as you're the incoming chair, have you thought about anything maybe that we can be doing differently on analytics? So I've definitely given it a lot of thought. Um, the big question, of course, as you flagged, Ben, is we're going in an online world. So I think most of my thoughts are just like, how do I do this but online for everything in my life? Yeah. Um, but I think for the analytics committee, to give folks who might not be familiar exactly with what we do, which I understand, um, the big thing that Ben, Andy, and I, and um, other members we've had different, but that's been the core for the last many years, um, is we collect invitational data. So for any of y'all who've hosted an invitational, you know there is certain things Ampto requests you to send. Um, they request you to send a tab summary, um, and they request you to send at the minimum um, witness call data from the first two rounds, which hosts collect from the captain's forms. We only ask for the first two rounds because we don't want to overburden hosts. We don't want to make their lives miserable because it's already miserable enough with all of the things that go on, especially on the day twos, um, because something always goes wrong on the day twos. Um so we collect that data, and then we use that during the year. We pass that along to the case committee, be it the civil case or criminal case, um, so that they have a sense of what the witness calls and the case balance looks like. And then, of course, we release the case memo around the same time as the mid-year um, with most case updates to give the community as a whole a sense of where the case was leaning and hopefully to provide some color as to why we made case changes. Um, as every complaint has always been, is regardless of what the numbers say, we've been too harsh on defenses. That's what always case changes are said to be. Yet the numbers always seem to lean defense at the end of the day for a lot of cases. Um, but for this upcoming year, we definitely plan to do that same exact data analysis for invitational data. Um, we'll collect the invitational data so that the case committee knows and the community knows. On top of that, the big thing I've been thinking is with a lot of the stuff and infrastructure moving online, I'm wondering to what degree more available information is going to be online. So, for example, the captain's forms, usually we they're in a normal year. They're in person. They're pieces of paper. So the way to make it easy is we ask the host to just tally up the witness counts and send us the tallied counts. But if all captain's forms end up online, um, it's possible that we might be able to collect even more granular data in with regards to those captain's forms. We might be able to collect more granular data in terms of balance. We might be able to collect more granular data in terms of a lot of things. Um, so of course, then we have to balance what data we collect with being too much data to go through so that we can give it to the community at a reasonable basis. Um, I don't think the community would want us to wait two years and have, give them a very deep dive analysis of the upcoming case uh, <laughs> after half the class has graduated. Um, so I think it's mostly just trying to leverage the online environment and the fact that things should be, in theory, significantly more easy to access um, than previous years. But balancing that with what, how much data is too much data. So I think it's as a committee, and I guess I'm giving you a heads up, Ben, in terms of what we're going to be doing is right, here we go. <laughs> finding that fine line between asking for what information might now be more available 
and what should be reasonable for us to look at. And then, of course, balancing that out with any team's concerns about a can't, like certain coaches or a committee having way too much data on their hands. Um, so it's going to be just leveraging what we've got, but trying to balance it with all the usual considerations. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, I'm obviously not on the analytics committee, but I'm one of those people that immediately whenever the mid-year case changes come out, I flip to the analytics and get very excited looking at all the numbers. And uh, I always think it's fascinating to see. And it's an awesome thing that you guys both do and, and are a part of. So the last thing that I think we wanted to address, and we've kind of hinted at this a few times earlier, uh, but it was the fact that the board meeting this year was actually live streamed. And I think Ben and I have both made very clear that we were thrilled that it was live streamed. Um, obviously, it, there are still some limitations to it. Uh, our understanding is that the live stream itself has been taken down off YouTube, so it's no longer available to people. Um, but for anyone that wanted to watch it while it was happening, it was available to them. And um, I will add this funny anecdote that I think the chat function was enabled long enough for me to make my own comment and then very quickly disabled after that. But that's okay. Um, I think that for most people that were watching, they're probably watching and then communicating with people that were watching uh, anyway. But uh, it was a really nice, uh, in my mind, a nice thing for Ampta to do. As Ben and I both said multiple times, it was great to be able to watch it, to kind of see how the wheels all turn. And I think that, at least for me, it gave me an appreciation of just how many people care and put so much energy into this. I think that sometimes it can be easy to see the the board as this, you know, amalgus group that just produces these things that I don't like and, and I don't like that. Um, and I think that when when you see these people and you know they're they're people that are volunteering their time that are you know spending hours and hours uh, to to do this, I think it 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 made me certainly appreciate that. Um, even more than I than I have in the coming years. But I, I wanted to say that I, I was glad that it happened. And I'll, I'll say this, and this is the question I'll kind of pose to both of you. Do we think that this is a way to possibly do the meeting in the future? I mean, obviously, it's nice to be able to be in person and see people, but there are certainly advantages to it being online, like it being fully live streamed and available to people. And maybe even if it is in person, can it still be live streamed? So I, I want to pose that question to Sam, but I want to jump in really quick here because Drew mentioned... Uh, that the meeting was live streamed, but had been taken down. Uh, and so I reached out to Brandon Harper directly about this. Uh, Cause I was curious. I wanted to go back and watch some parts of it. And I had a student who wasn't able to watch live and drew is correct that it's been taken down. Uh, and Brandon was gracious enough to provide us with a statement specifically about that. So I want to read that now just so that like we sort of give full uh, billing to exactly, you know, AMTA's decision. So this is from AMTA president, Brandon Harper. And he said, although video of the board meeting will not be released, the detailed minutes of the meeting will be available on the AMTA website this summer. AMTA was excited to live stream the meeting, and we were energized by the enthusiasm the community showed during the meeting. We encourage members of the community to continue the conversation with us by following us on social media. Instagram slash Twitter is at AMTA Mock Trial. Facebook is American Mock Trial Association. And by contacting us at AMTA at collegemocktrial.org with any questions about the upcoming season. You can also email me, Brandon, directly at amta.president at collegemocktrial.org. We are excited by the level of energy and engagement in our community, and we are looking forward to the 2020 to 2021 season. Uh, so I was very appreciative that Brandon provided that statement to us. Um, and so now, uh, Sam, you were obviously a candidate member, and so you were a part of the Zoom call um, and have sort of been, you've experienced being 
a uh, candidate member as both an in-person meeting and now a live stream meeting. Uh, what did you think about that experience and sort of how did you think it went? I know this year we were kind of forced into it, but uh, how did you feel it was in terms of being able to be effective uh, under the circumstances? Yeah. I mean, as you said, under the circumstances, this was kind of the only way we were going to do this, right? There was no feasible way we were going to be able to meet in person this year. So with that in mind, I definitely thought this was the best way to do it. And I was glad that it was live streamed, that folks who were interested would be able to watch and be able to comment. Um, just as we allow anyone to show up to an in-person board meeting, um, being able to live stream allowed folks to be able to do just as Ben, you've done on multiple years past, be able to see what we're doing and then uh, comment as appropriate um, where, when the direction of the conversation is going in a direction you may not like, or when you do like. Um, but um, in terms of the experience, I thought it was the best we can do and it was effective, but I would be amiss to say that it didn't make me miss in person. Um, Cause I, I think for a lot of us, as we're doing, we've uh, slowly moved over to online, everything. There's still that component that in person has that all the zoom meetings or virtual conferences just don't have. Um, and I, I think back to like the last few years of the board meeting. So I went to the board meeting last year and I went to the one the year prior um, before even I had been a candidate. And there was something there about the unintentional moments. And I think that's the thing that gets lost the most in that obviously I was able to dial into the committee meetings that I needed to dial in for. I was able to then dial into the actual group wide chat where we all discussed all of the important topics or comments, but like, it's like the moments in between where you just bump into someone you don't normally talk to and you get to know them. Or while you guys are waiting in an elevator, you start talking about one of the proposals um, a lot of some of the ideas that like later get implemented in cases or motions are just things that just came out of spurious conversations that happen on the side. Uh, getting to know the other folks in the board meeting is no different than getting to know your fellow coaches and whatnot. Um, and then like after the board meetings are done, like going with some of the board members you've met that you don't see often that you can then catch up with and talk either not mock or mock will somehow trickle in anyway. Um, so while we were able to get the job done, I feel like some of those moments, some of the things where I feel like sometimes the magic also happens kind of just get lost. And even during board meetings, I know Ben, we sat near each other. You'll see the last year, two years ago, you can have small side conversations, um, with the people around you in a large board meeting that you can mimic with chat functionality, but it's not the same. So it definitely got the job done and I was glad with the work we did. But like I said, I feel like some of the things that we get, like the board meetings I've been able to experience just simply doesn't translate in person. Um, but I guess it's the same things we lose for an in-person tournament where you get to talk with the other team after a round versus just ending the zoom call. No, I think that that's totally valid. And actually, uh, Sam, it's funny. You mentioned something that I, I, I wanted to echo. Uh, this is something that you mentioned earlier that I wanted to echo about this. And it was the fact that um, I really liked the fact that Brandon like voiced some of the things that the community had said during this call. And it, what was interesting about it to me, I, I totally get everything that you're saying about the the nice aspect of it being in person. And one of the things that, you know, Ben, you've told me about when you were there in person and I'm fully aware of when it's only in person, you know, people outside the community are able to comment and, and, you know, express their, their, you know, 
thoughts and feelings on whatever's being discussed. And inherently in a Zoom meeting like this, that's harder to do. And it's frankly, you know, impossible if you're not on in the call itself. And I was really grateful that Brandon was so responsive to, to the emails. I, I know that I personally, I will fully admit that I fully sent in, I think two or three different questions. Um, and I think that I was really grateful that they were being read and being expressed to the group. And whether they were all fully addressed or not aside, I'm glad that it was at least said that there was a record of it being said, even if that record is no longer existed. But, you know, at least it happened in the moment. Felt good, like, okay, you know, my voice is being heard in some way. And I think that I I at least hope that even if we do go back to being uh, fully in person for the board meetings, that they can still be live streamed and have some sort of functionality like this where people can write in questions and comments. Because um, as we've said so many times, when it is in person and the only way to, to actually hear what's happening is to go there, that presents financial and and just difficulties that that not a lot of teams may not be able to overcome to do it. And look, there were not a ton of people that were watching the live stream. I think we've joked about it a couple of times. I don't think there were more than 20 people on at any given time. Look, I wish that there were 100 people on that. I wish that we could have just absolutely raided it. And there were so many people on there that it was overwhelming and clearly needed to happen in the future. But I think even if there's one person that's listening, that's one person that may not have been able to be there if it was in person and that and they couldn't fly there. And I think it's important to be able to give those people the opportunity to listen to it, to be able to contribute in whatever way that they choose to. And I was grateful that it happened in this way. And I hope that we find some way to do that in the future. Yeah, I'll I'll just echo that very briefly before we wrap up. I I mean, I've said on the podcast several times that I thought the meeting should be live streamed. I was glad that it was. Um I expect it to continue in the future, and I, I that's not a prediction, that's me saying as a member of the community, I think it would be unacceptable to uh stop doing it. Um I know I've never spoken to anyone about this. Uh and, you know, Brandon did not address in his statement why Amta chose to, uh, you know, not leave the video up. And I'm not going to speculate as to the decisions behind that. I, I know that it is complicated. You know, it's Amta is a, you know, a board of directors with a fiduciary responsibility to a large community. And there are a lot of complicated and legal questions that come along with that, uh, aside from the ones that we just have to deal with, you know, with our cases and such. But I would like to see the video be up. Um, I know there's reasons why it probably can't be, but I, I had a student who specifically expressed interest in going back and watching the discussion about the season being moved online. At the very least, I would be interested in maybe, you know, that that was such a monumental decision. And I know that ultimate vote happened the next day in executive session, and that's fine. But uh, there was, I thought it was incredibly illuminating about how hard the board works to make these decisions when you had so many, I mean, I think like half the board chimed in on that issue. Maybe, you know, cut that, just that part, send it out to the board, make sure everybody's okay with it, and then post that or, or something along those lines to be able to continue to make these discussions accessible um, because I, I think that that was a good thing. But I hope that this level of transparency continues. It is clear to me that Brandon cares about transparency. Uh, and that's not to suggest that people in the past didn't, but it is clear to me that he uh, is prioritizing it in a way that I think is really important. And I just, I hope that that continues. I really agree with what Sam was saying about, um, and it's really the last thing I'll say about in-person meetings. I'd, I think I'd like to see, like I remember last year, Sam, I think it was like you and me and Devin and Mike DiPolito and one or two other people ended up just sitting and like 
having a beer or two and, and catching up. And that was one of the most interesting and illuminating mock trial discussions I had all year. Cause I'm sitting with this smart, experienced group of people, you know, most of whom are on the board and then I just show up. Um, and, but it was like, I learned things and I felt like I was a better coach and a better member of the community by being able to have those discussions. But I also think it's beneficial to the community that the discussions are broadcast. Um, but either way, I, it was, it was good to see. And, and I'll just say, I think uh, really quickly, and then Sam, I, I, I want to hear from you too on this. I, I just, I think that the thing that I took away from it is going back to my earlier point to bring it kind of full circle. The fact that certain things get discussed at the board meeting that aren't always included in the agenda, people don't know that those things are going to come up. And when they do, I, I really think people should have the opportunity to comment, to say something about it. I mean, look, uh, it was good that when the – for those that were watching the live stream, when that discussion happened, the final decision wasn't made then. The board you know, went through and, and, and waited and made the final decision later. But it, it left room for people to respond, to email in their thoughts and say, hey, this is what I think about this. And because it wasn't on the agenda before, if someone isn't able to be there in person, they would never have the chance to, to let their feelings be known. So I think it's so important that we have it live streamed so people have a chance to at least hear about things when they're happening and say it. Sam, please go ahead. Though. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. I was going to say is that, I mean, um, I think we've all had to deal with uh, quarantine life for the last few months. And I mean, for better or for worse, I think one nice thing that's kind of come out from like extensive isolation for all of us is that it's kind of caused us in all aspects to like kind of have to tackle this question of like being able to communicate while we all can't travel. And I think the live stream was, as you said, it was a, it was something that like came out of the isolation. It was able to do things that we haven't been able to do before. It let us be able to figure out ways to incorporate um, folks that may not have been able to attend um, because obviously with a zoom meeting being the function it's hard to have a normal board meeting. So having a lot of people on a Zoom call. So we were able to create a live stream, um, wanting to make sure that people have addressed comments, but we're having a Zoom call. So therefore we had someone monitor emails. Um, I think also even this extends to like trials, right? Like we're, we're starting to tackle like mock, like in-person mock trial is something I love. And like, I think it's similar to the board meeting um, where like some of my favorite memories aren't just watching my students like, participate or compete some of my favorite moments are the things that happen after that um i think i was fortunate and semi full circling here is um at orcs um northwestern and u chicago were at the same hotel um and it was fun to have them at the same hotel because on the last night that we were all staying there we bought a ton of dessert and literally just had a dessert party despite the fact that um, we had hit each other round three on our AA round, but we were able to just all decompress the team I was coaching in my alma mater. And like those moments don't happen online, but I do think we're getting some advances because of online. And I knock on wood that we're going to go back to in-persons uh, for trials and at least for board, like as we announced, we're hoping that next year we're going to have an in-person board meeting. We'll see if it happens. But I have no doubt that be it mock trial, um, be it anything, as we progress back to in person, I, I have a very strong suspicion that a lot of these things that we've learned will still carry over when we flip back. 
And I think it's going to be a big discussion of the things we like and the things we don't. And like, to the extent that the com- the community has ideas, both of what to keep, but more importantly, what to establish, as long as like they reach out to Hampton, figure it out, I think we're going to move into a better direction next year and hopefully every year after that. Well, I agree with that sentiment. I think it's a perfect sentiment to wrap up on. I think, you know, Drew and I have talked on the podcast before about how, you know, we, we've released a ton of episodes over the last several months in, in part because <laughs> we have a lot less to do, but also because it's just, you know, we're all missing the community and it's been a real joy to try to bring just a little bit of that community to people. Cause you know, we really all value it. And particularly if, you know, you're still listening to this podcast at this point, clearly you value it in some way. So, uh, Sam, thanks for joining us. It was really great to have your perspective on. Uh, we really appreciate all of your sort of, you know, honest thoughts. And and it was just, it was great to have you on. So thanks for doing it. Thank you so much, Sam. No, like I said, it was uh, glad to be able to talk a little bit of mock trial while cooped up in the house. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, Drew and I are going to be back in your feed pretty soon. We know that the teams were announced recently for one last time. Uh, we're not too far away from the case being released. Uh, there's there's a lot that's going to be happening real soon. Well, I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about and we will definitely be talking about it. So thank you as always for listening. It's a pleasure to be with you. And until next time, this has been The Mock Review with Ben and Drew.